people, the, the friends were there, the people were there, but the pride blocked it. Like I had a friend break down in actual like, why tears. Why did you tell me? Because why did you not tell me you were living in your car? He was like, I played a gig with you. I, I did this. We went and did these things. Like we saw each other so frequently. I had the room in my house. You never should have been there. Pride can be a son of a gun. Listen, a son of a gun, a son of a shotgun, son of a missile, <laughs> son of everything. We at the Collective Perspective Podcast have set out on a mission to understand some of the most impactful and controversial trends and topics in our lives today. Hi, I'm Jeff. I'm Travis. I'm DJ. Can we find common ground in the middle in a peaceful manner? Not for political gain. But for real community benefit. We believe so. As veterans and concerned citizens, we are bringing together diverse views and fact-based research to navigate this tough terrain in search of a viable path forward. Only time will tell, but if we listen with open minds and try to understand each other, we just may find a solution. Or two, collectively. That is why we care about what you have to say. If something piques your interest or ruffles your feathers or tickles your fancy or whatever else you'd like, leave us an audio message at podinbox.com backslash collective perspective podcast, all one word, or directly on our show page at mtsjax.fm backslash collective perspective podcast. You'll have to log in, but that won't cost much more than your time. We'll be discussing your messages on the show, whether you give us a high five or say, hey, you better do some fact checking, fool. As long as it's positive and it's your perspective, we'll possibly give you some airtime. But remember, it needs to be family-friendly and not defamatory in nature. Hey, everybody. This is Collective Perspective Podcast, and we're here in sunny Jacksonville, Florida, talking with you collectively from the Main Street Suite at Mix Theory Studios. Collectively. Hey, everybody. This is Jeff with the Collective Perspective, and here we are with another episode of Homelessness. I have uh, Travis and DJ with me. And Mr. Justin Walker. Hey, Justin, how are you today, man? I'm doing pretty good, Jeff. Thank you so very much for asking. I hope you are. And thank you for joining us today on the uh, podcast. Truly my pleasure. We appreciate you collectively. (laughs) I met Justin through some business transactions and we became friends. And he relayed to me his story about being previously homeless. And I was just so compelled to get him on the show and have him share his story. Where were you born and raised, Justin? Picture it, Sicily, 1912. No, I'm playing. I'm originally born and raised in Saginaw, Michigan. And uh, when did you move your way out to Jacksonville? Uh, I got here in 2018. I spent 10 years in North Carolina. And after that 10-year stretch, I got a job offer here in Florida, and I took it. Nice. Who do you currently work for? Currently, I work for Edward Waters University, and I'm also president and founder of uh, Phoenix Media Group. Oh, what's the Phoenix Media Group do? We are a multidisciplinary media brokerage firm, uh, and essentially we serve as the intermediary between nonprofits and higher education entities and media professionals. So uh, people that do printing, graphic design, web design, things of those nature. Very nice. Sweet. We have tribalistic things, kind of like the basis of the podcast, and, and one of those is the label. If you had one label, what would you say your label is? What would be your number one label? Hmm, that's a very good question, I guess. And can you expound on that tribalistic statement for me? Well, we all belong to tribes, whether it be your family. You know, I am a fan of a specific sports team. I may have a political affiliation. I may be a Christian. I may have all these things. I, I may be a father. Like, what is my number one label? Gotcha. Yeah. I think the general overarching theme of being a nerd 
would probably <laughs> be what best fits me. I mean, if if you can think it, it probably falls into that category. Okay. Nice. I definitely think you're in the Michigan tribe. You're from Michigan. <laughs> you got a Michigan blue. Listen. <laughs> you had mentioned to me that you were previously homeless. How long ago was that? Let's see. That was 2012. I don't do math good, but I guess that's 10 years now. That is 10 years. You're right. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Thank you, public school education. Get the man. Get the man. <laughs> <laughs> you were mentioning you had just made one wrong move. Absolutely. What was going on in your life where you made that wrong move? So previously, when I would tell people about this, I actually tried to make it seem like it was a severe miscarriage of justice, how the system failed me. And in reality, um, I had a circumstance that came up. Someone needed some money. And I said, hey, I'm smarter than a fifth grader. I'm pretty sure I can do this. Essentially, the uh, proverbial rob Peter to pay Paul. And I ended up stealing something from my job. Thought that I could steal it, sell it, flip it, come back and replace it before anybody noticed. Unfortunately, that was not the case. And essentially, they tried to make an example out of me. And I went from having one felony larceny by employee charge that was presented against me to having almost 36. Oh, my goodness. Wow. They tried to make it seem like I was some sort of uh, crime ring Wow, uh, person. And I had, you know, been stealing phones up and down the eastern seaboard. I worked for a uh, cellular company who shall not be named. And yeah, they're not going to pay us anything anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and they're so, probably listening. <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah. Took a phone from my store, thought that I could flip it. And I thought wrong. Came back to bite me in a major way. I was not as slick as I thought I was. At the time, you weren't even admitting that you were wrong. But did you have a tribe close to you? I had a tribe, but I think my overall upbringing pushed me in a direction of a individualistic kind of uh, approach. I felt like I had to do everything by myself, for myself. I was the one that was always doing things for other people, and there wasn't enough support mutually. Even to this day, I kind of feel like most of my relationships have a transactional nature. Not enough people that, for lack of better terms, like me because I exist, not because I'm a person that has a, a unique set of skills that can benefit them in multiple ways. You know, it kind of pushed me away from the tribe mentality, so to speak. How long was it after you? It, it couldn't have been more than two months. I Walk remember through the day that it happened, man. Oh, such a beautiful day. So I uh, <laughs> came to work. Everything well, was celebrating great. It. I know, right? Yeah. But I came to work. It was a beautiful day. I worked right across the street from a Walmart. At my lunch, I went out the back door to my car. There was a police officer standing outside. I'm talking to him, you know, just chopping it up. I go across the street, go get me uh, one of those little uh, one meat, two side trays. Yeah. Got me a little raspberry lemonade, came back to work. I was halfway through my macaroni and there was a knock on the door. And so I go open the door and he was like, hey, yeah, I'm here to speak to insert name of manager here. And I was like, oh, sure. Come on in. But, you know, I'm <laughs> I didn't think nothing. Of it. Listen, not a not a thing of it. And then all of a sudden I noticed that the manager from our store, the regional manager and a manager from a different store that had actually closed. We're all having lunch at the next restaurant and they all came in and they were like, hey, can everybody go up front? Justin, we need you to stay. And then immediately I was like, oh, you get that pit in your stomach. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, did your stomach no. ball yeah. up? <laughs> That's and the a, loudest I've ever heard DJ on this podcast. <laughs> Listen, it was a uh, it was definitely an experience and it walked right, me man. through everything. And, and of course, the part for me that I said that, you know, I thought that I was slick. They was No, they didn't. That's oh, the wow. beauty. So, you know, they they pulled it up. They said, hey, well, you know, we know you did this. We have it in the system showing. I was one of the people that had access to the cameras. So I put it up on the cameras. They said, hey, you use Terminal 2. I was sitting at Terminal 1 talking to someone at the timestamp. 
So they couldn't technically prove that I did anything. The problem was they had a person that said, hey, I bought this from Justin, the black guy that works at Sprint, that drives the black Monte Carlo oh, that wears wow. glasses. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, you just said the company name. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you said you, you, know were, you, said you were running Sprint. a Sprint, right? Yes. Yeah, you was running a Sprint. Yes, yeah, I, I he, gotcha. Justin, well, the guy that Well, they're not even a company. They got bought out. Yeah, Justin, the guy that Sprint. Is Sprint? <laughs> is Sprint? <laughs> Sprint past Sprint? I know Sprint's like their, their Walmart level. <laughs> yeah, it's the next tail version. <laughs> what happened after that, once they found out everything, and then mm-hmm. this all led up to you becoming homeless at the time, mm-hmm, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so after all the dust settled, they fired me, obviously. They, they didn't have enough to do anything, really. Uh, All they could do is say, hey, you can't come back to the store. We're investigating now. And, of course, a couple months go by. I get another job working at insert another carrier or a company. Everything's good. Then all of a sudden I get a phone call while I'm at a church service in Charlotte playing. And, hey, buddy, this and it's a friend of mine who was an officer at the time. He's like, hey, man, yeah, I got a warrant. I need you to come turn yourself in. What's worse is they made it look like it was a big deal because you had, like, three luxury vehicles driving. And my attorney was driving me and he, him and his partners. They all kind of <laughs> came together. So you have like a Mercedes, a Range Rover, and a BMW, and they're all driving to the police station to have me turn myself in for a whopping 47 minutes in jail, you know? Yeah, spent 47 minutes in jail and spent probably the last 10 years dealing with the fallout from mm-hmm. that one decision in 47 minutes in jail. So you mean to tell me you spent 47 minutes in jail and prior to that you were in a luxury convoy? Yeah, yeah. And and everybody looked and of course I came from church. I had on a suit. So they thought that I was some sort of, somebody you know, important. kingpin, <laughs> you know, and I'm coming in. Yes, I don't I don't know what's happening. I'm just turning myself in. And, you know, you just yeah. turned Italian? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I that saw was, was that your uh, Don Corleone voice? It was. It was. Yeah. <laughs> Michael <laughs> yeah, but, you know, and after that, I I went, talked to my new probation officer. She thought that I was my attorney. She was like, so when is your client getting here? And I said, <laughs> I am the client. But the, I don't mean to laugh at that, but this is something that, yeah. you know, this happens. Yeah. Oh, it does. It definitely does. But ultimately, I got into a place where every job that I applied for, nobody would take me. It was a felony larceny. So initially it was uh 30-something counts of felony larceny by an employee. So felony, period, Correct. was on your record. Right. Well, initially that's what they tried to get me for. Okay, okay. To put it in perspective, I believe the chief of the fire department okay. spoke on my behalf. And essentially they were like, hey, we can get it reduced to a misdemeanor larceny. You'll do, you know, no time in jail and you will get uh, probation for a year. And I said, ding, I'll take it. So got out. Everything was good. Going, going. One of my requirements is that I had to pay a fee. Right. And the fee was like $300 a month. And at that time, of course, I I had lost my job. I had no other income. Only thing I had was being a musician at a church. And the church that I played at was about 45, 50 miles away. And I had to drive 45, 50 miles there and back. Wow. So mm-hmm. I could not afford to pay my probation fees. I couldn't afford to pay my supervision fee was a bunch of fees that they had. And ultimately in North Carolina, probation violation is a felony. Mm. So it got to the point where I got so far behind and they were like, listen, if you can pay restitution because you've been a model probationer, you've done what we asked, when we asked, how we've asked, you have people that are willing to vouch for your character. You made a dumb decision, but overall they did let me get off of probation, but that didn't help. And it got to the point where I got evicted from one apartment 
got into another apartment right before I got evicted from that one and got evicted from that one as well. And so now we're in a position where I am unemployable and I have two evictions on my credit. So I can't go and get an apartment. And this is before Airbnb was something yeah. that you can do. So I didn't have the means. And so I had a 1997 Ford Crown Victoria named Big Shirley. And uh, I don't know if anybody <laughs> plays Grand Theft Auto, but on the story mode of GTA 5, they have the cabs that are like blue on the top, yellow on the bottom, or vice versa. This is where your um, nerd label comes in. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I so, played GTA, though. But that's, that's what Big Shirley looked like. And I put everything I had in there, put my base and everything I had into the trunk. And I lived out of my car it's for the almost church? a year. Okay, so you said you worked at a church, but they mm -hmm. couldn't help you. So I talked to the church, and the church was like, well, you're an employee. You're not a member. You don't count for any of our benevolence fund, so oh, to speak. wow. Yeah. Ooh. But I still had to be there. That's interesting. Oh, incredibly. Incredibly. And so. they called you while you were at church. I think that's when I would have sent my biggest pair up. <laughs> listening. <laughs> God, if you're listening, right? <laughs> as humbly as I know how. Okay, so obviously you don't have any place to go. Mm -hmm. What did you do with all your personal effects? I let them throw out everything that I couldn't keep in my car. I said, I'm going to take the bare essentials. I kept enough to put into my trunk. Of course, Crown Vicks have a pretty sizable trunk. Back where I'm from, you'd say you could at least get six bodies in there. Um, <laughs> disclaimer, we have not put any bodies in the trunk. Listen, <laughs> I ended up finding an overpass and sleeping in my car under the overpass. I was telling a friend of mine a couple of days ago, like I remember there was a Sheets gas station. I would go in in the summertime, they would do like two hot dogs for a dollar. And I would panhandle, work up that dollar, and then I would use that money for that to go and get the two hot dogs and that'll be what I would eat. But still, I'm still learning music and going to church, playing, but all of my money that I'm getting is going to my probation fees that I'm trying to get and going to putting gas in my car to drive 45 minutes down and back. How long did the span go? But what did you do when you ran out of gas? <laughs> you didn't have any gas. I, I, I didn't have a, an option. I like Every dollar I had went to either probation, food, or gas. Where in North Carolina? So I lived in Salisbury, North Carolina. Okay. Is that where uh, Salisbury steaks come from? Yeah, I've been asked that question all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Salisbury at? So Salisbury, North Carolina is probably 15, 20 minutes north of Concord. I call it Concord because I'm still from Michigan. It's been a few years since you've been up there. Yeah, yeah. I left in, uh, well, I left in 2018, August. That's almost four years already. Did you ever do anything down around Charlotte or is that where you were like panhandled? Oh, no, I didn't do it. I, I played in Charlotte, so I couldn't, you know, you couldn't. You couldn't be seen out on the corner oh, there? Oh, yeah. I found some places in, in the area that were, while it was only a city that's about 20 square miles or so, there are still areas that I just normally wouldn't be in. And so I wouldn't necessarily see people. But there have been times where I would be outside with the sign and somebody would drive by and I would know them. And, you know, I would turn and like, ah, oh, yes, yawn. I take the glasses off like Superman. Exactly. I've only mm -hmm. visited a few times, but I know a lot of people that live there. Okay. And it seemed religion is a big part of the people in that area. It's about the buckle of the Bible belt. Exactly. When panhandling, did you do okay? Like, were people generous or not Not really? Not really. I think I got like a 20 once, and I was like, ah, you but know. not many people would give. I think the big piece is, you know, being fluffy. 
people automatically assume that oh you he's know, eating well so we're not exactly gonna, yeah, no, and, yeah, and yeah, so for it. me when i did it i literally did it to get to a certain goal like i need to make five dollars today i can put some gas in the car back when gas was still 187 you know right so i could put some gas in the car i can go to sheets and get a couple hot dogs and a pop and that'll sustain me i eat that and i'll be fine so you set your goals low for the day Absolutely. just enough to get by yep you know i can't think that i've been close to that i know what it's like to be looking for work and not being able to get anything it was a very different circumstance for me right. i was fresh out of the military and i was a corpsman and i couldn't translate those skills into the hospital they said where's your paramedic where's your emt sir where's your nursing degree where's your license for this there were programs at the time where as a corpsman, I think this is back in 2001, 2002 timeframe, I could have challenged the licensure board for an LPN in California, but I don't know that that would have translated to any other state. And I was a military spouse after I got out and we moved. Earlier in the 2000s, I was out of work and couldn't get a job anywhere, but I was eligible for unemployment. Were you eligible for anything like that in North Carolina, or had you not been in the state long enough, or were there other stipulations that prevented that? So the terms of my departure, if you will, kept me from being able to file for unemployment because I was fired for committing a crime. Okay. When it first happened, of course, I was able to get another job almost immediately, but I lost unemployment from that because they found out what the issue was and I had to pay that unemployment back once wow. I got to a place wow. of being able to financially sustain myself. And to put it in perspective, I want to say I did easily 20 to 30 applications a day. It's like, why didn't you just put me in jail, man? Yeah. I at least had a place to live and eat. Right. Well, and that's actually how I ended up coming out of homelessness. Uh, I had dropped out of school two years prior to all of this. And I said, so the only options that I know is to stay in my car or to register for school, rack up student loans and become a professional student. So that's what I did. I went and lived back on campus and, you know, I was able to come out that way. But like nobody should have to go and accrue student loans, 20 something thousand a year to survive and to live. And unfortunately, where I lived, the shelters were small. You know, there were days spent there. But I mean, they would fill up fast and. Of course, you know, I thought in my mind, like, hey, this is not my reality. This is not where I'm supposed to be. And there are other people that need the shelter more than I because at least I have a car. Right. Shout out to education for not screening you for being. Well, yeah. actually, they did. Oh, dang. So well, they, they did. did. I had to essentially explain what happened, what caused it. And I had to go and plead my case to them as to why they should let me back. You were homeless doing this for how long? I want to say it almost took over the span of a year. Okay. Yeah. So uh, a little bit shy of a year. Everything transpired in about September. By November, I was out in the new job. And then by the top of the next year, in the middle of winter in North Carolina, is when I was pretty much out. Okay. Whoop. So that, that timing is kind of bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, the worst. Yeah. How long does the shadow go over your head? To put it in perspective, is it still there? my criminal record was expunged September 20th of 2020. So thank you. There was a change in the law. And I remember I was in bed. I had started working a new job. Everything was kind of on up and up. I had finished my bachelor's degree and was working at the institution that I graduated from. And as plain as day, I heard the Lord say, check the law. And I was like, what law? And the only law I could think of was a expunction. 
So I Googled it, nothing. Went back to sleep. Woke up about an hour later, checked the law. I checked again, and it said 40 minutes ago. And mm. you know how when you Google something, it says like yeah, 42 hours. Yeah. So it said that the governor had signed something because the expunction laws in North Carolina previously were set up to be, if you had a nonviolent felony, yeah. you had a shorter time of waiting period for an expunction than you did if you had a nonviolent misdemeanor. And in most cases, I'm like, well, why would a felonious crime be <laughs> be a longer wait, a shorter waiting period than a misdemeanor? And I went and spoke to an attorney about it. He talked to a state representative friend of his. And of course, I'm not trying to say that I'm the reason that it got changed, semicolon, however, comma. I'm also not going to say that I wasn't. But nevertheless, they changed that legislation. I want to say I saw that in 2017. It might have been January or February. And then March is when I would have been eligible because I completed my probation in March of 2015. And so I was eligible in that time span for getting it expunged, filed the paperwork. And it took, of course, COVID hit, so it, it did have an impact. But from 2017 to about 2020 is how long it took for them to get my record expunged. But that has literally even followed me even into moving to Jacksonville. I had to explain when I was trying to get an apartment, like, okay, well, I do have this conviction. Granted, it was only a misdemeanor, but that has certainly followed up to 2020. What did you try other than going to school? You came up with this idea to go to school, but did you just have internet access? So the same gas station that I would go to to get two-for-one hot dogs, I would sit there and use the laptop that I had to okay. try to get on Wi-Fi and apply for jobs. I would go to the library and try to apply. You know, I feel like my experience with homelessness was a lot more closely related to transiency, if you will. I mean, obviously, I had no home. I had no address. I had to sleep in a cold car in the middle of the night, like... I had no comfort or stability or safety. I felt every time I'm looking up, you know, watching over my shoulder, but I still had some amenities that at that time I felt like other people didn't have, which is why I tried not to use any services that were in place already for people because I saw people that were outside walking, pulling carts. And I'm like, well, at least I'm not doing that. They need it more than I do. And to this day, whenever I see somebody that's asking for money, regardless of whether or not I think they're doing it for legitimate reasons, I'm quick to reach into my pocket and give them something because I know what it's like to stand there and watch people's faces turn up at you because they look like, like Justin, you're a healthy looking boy. You know, you got to be eating good somewhere, but it's definitely followed. Did you ever talk to family at the time? My family didn't know. And I know what you're thinking. So well, you didn't tell them. Why didn't you just tell your family? Yeah. The biggest piece was it's, especially when you come from where I come from, Saginaw, Michigan, for the longest, and I even looked it up today, 2021, their violent crime rate is so high that at one point they forecasted that their trend would be somewhere near like 30 or 40 times the national average. And so because of the core and the crux of my family being in that kind of environment, coming from the circumstances that we came from, to me, it's kind of like you guys got your own problems. Like I'm finding a way to eat. I'm still able to play at a church. I tried to take every church gig I could. You know, I was getting, <laughs> tried to get a lot of work. But I mean, even in that, especially being a man, you know, there's also a pride thing that hits. Yeah. You don't want to tell people that you need help. You don't want to tell people that this is what you're going through. And I'll never forget, it was a day I was playing at a church and I heard a choir member say, why does somebody stink? Like, and I knew mm. it was me because I hadn't showered in almost a week. Yeah. But at the time there were truck stops where you can pay to go and take a shower and stuff like that. 
And it was like, I can't afford to just go and pay. I'd rather pay for food than pay X amount of dollars to shower, take a shower. Yeah. You know, and then, of course, at that time, it's like taking a shower has all of I mean, these even after pieces. a day, I'm stinking, man. So, Listen, exactly. You know Trust. So you did all that. Finally, you came across your big break. What, tell us more about your big break. Yeah, so I, I got enrolled in school. I, I knew that around August is when they would start their process. And I just showed up at a registration day. I was like, two plus two is four. Sign me up. <laughs> and of course, I, I had previously attended the institution. I dropped out and started working because for me, we had a, a death at the school where a professor passed and it happened very tragically. And so it really took a toll. And so I was like, yeah, I just need a break. So ended up taking off of school for a while. And that's kind of what led to the chain of events that occurred. But yeah, so I just showed up at the school during a registration period. It's like, hey, yeah, I want to go to school and had to go through the hoops of getting registered. But I was able to get registered, get on campus, get an ID, which led me to be able to go to the cafeteria and eat all you can eat. So I got a freshman 15 times two, but I was able to go and do what I wanted to do there. And the break really happened uh, with work that I did. I was an intern through the program. I got my bachelor's in political science there and I worked in sponsored programs and research. And I was helping with grant writing and I helped them write a grant that ended up getting them some money from the USDA to purchase a hotel and to start some programs. And so that kind of was the linchpin, I think is the term people use when they want to show that they read books. But I think that was the the catalyst that turned the point for me, because after that, when I graduated, I was offered a job. And because they knew that I was homeless prior to coming in, they let me stay in the hotel that I helped to acquire. What was that grant about? You said from the USDA. And Correct. it sounds like it may have been something for homelessness. Kind of. So what they've used it for is a uh, culinary arts and hospitality management program. Okay. And so with that, they have a 40 acre farm that they've developed and some other pieces that have come a part of that. So they were able to use that as the primary operating space for it, as well as cultivating that farm space. What would you say was like a time that you had a breakthrough? I would say it was the time where after I've gotten back into school and I would drive past the places that I would stay and it didn't make me angry. It didn't make me sad. Like there were times where I would just literally avoid certain areas of town because I knew that I panhandled there. I knew that I would park my car underneath this bridge or behind this abandoned Kmart and I would sleep here and there would be other people. I mean, and I've actually let people sleep in the car when it was cold, like, Listen, you're in a tent like, bro, come on, come with me. So seeing those spaces and even seeing faces of people that I saw and encountered on the streets there, seeing them back, you know, I'm in a dorm room at the time. So it's not like I can come into me, all you. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you ever feel depressed? Yeah, absolutely. The guilt that you had going through there, was it because you got out of there? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I felt like, not necessarily like entitled, but I felt that because my situation wasn't as bad it was a lot easier for me to flip the switch and get out. Whereas other people, people that might have mental health issues, people that might have other more severe issues and problems. For me, I just made a bad choice. That's uh, to the point in our opening segment on homelessness was some people are there because of a, a bad choice. Uh, just loss one of, bad choice. Loss of income, loss of a job. CNBC does report on March 2nd that 64%, two-thirds of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. That is quite a lot. What would you say kept you grounded and, you know, motivated? 
I think it was the fact that I had hands that could still produce. Of course, being a musician, uh, being somebody that was somewhat technically inclined at the time. Did you have any friends that you could talk to at the time? Or were you just solo by yourself the, in the pigeon? So the, the friends were there, the people were there, but the pride blocked it. Like I had a friend break down in actual like, why tears. Didn't you tell me why did you not tell me you were living in your car? He was like, I played a gig with you. I, I did this. We went and did these things. Like we saw each other so frequently. I had the room in my house. You never should have been there. Pride can be a son of a gun. Listen, a son of a gun, a son of a, a shotgun, son of a missile, <laughs> son of everything. So basically you could say you're homeless because of pride. Absolutely. Anything else. Absolutely. I would almost say that the circumstance that I got into was created because of pride. I would say that definitely pride is a major contributing factor as to why I went through that experience. Did you change your level of pride after? No, I can't say that I have. <laughs> I'm still kind of a do-it-yourself person, but I'm not afraid to ask for help now. You know, if I need help, I'll tell someone. I, I try to put myself in a position where I can't be in that kind of situation again. If I needed food, I'd still to this day would just be like, okay, well, you know, it's only X amount of days till we'll, we'll figure it out. But it's like all my bills are paid. Everything else is good. Of course, now looking back to it, my business is doing well. I have a career, you know, I built a house, you know, my record is clear. Got my credit into the 700s. Like everything is going and flowing beautifully now. But I remember even before I was evicted, to this day, I don't eat croutons, by the way. But <laughs> I don't not? eat croutons because I stayed in an apartment in the winter in North Carolina eating nothing but croutons dipped in hot sauce. And I remember I was like, at least I still have shelter from the outside. Like, I'm in this house. It's cold. I'm not going to light a fire because I don't want to burn down this little apartment block. You'd have to have a fireplace. Though. <laughs> Listen, yeah, that would have been nice. Even there, the pride was so strong. Like, I couldn't even allow myself to go to a rescue mission or to a kitchen to get food. Like, I knew people that would at least go to the soup kitchen and eat. I was too proud to do that because I felt like I was above what happened and I almost wanted to punish myself for doing it. And to me, and something that my therapist told me because I do advocate for therapy, go to therapy, mental health awareness. But um, one of the things that my therapist told me, it was like, dude, you got a record. That was your punishment. Everything else is a, a result of that punishment. Don't punish yourself after you've already been punished. Like you've been punished enough. And that was really profound for me because I would really put myself through the ringer mm. and make myself feel like you did this. You deserve this. This is exactly what you get. You've missed these many bullets metaphorically and literally. This is what you've done. This is where you are now. This is what you get. So that self-punishment pride kind of mm -hmm. kept you from seeing what your therapist pointed so obviously to you. Like, yeah, you know, you're right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's what kept me from consulting friends and family and trying to reach out to a tribe that I would have. And it made me push everyone away. So while I was going through all of that, it's like, I don't need your help. Don't try to reach out to me. Leave me alone. Because I wouldn't want to become a burden, particularly because I didn't want people to then have the space to hold something over my head. Well, I remember when you were homeless and I gave you a place to go. I never wanted somebody to do that because, again, that P word, pride. It definitely was a, a learning experience. Mm -hmm. Sounds a lot like a, a mental prison you put yourself in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Goes to the Bob Marley, uh, free yourself from mental slavery. Yeah, that's really what it is. And and, and I think that that's been the, the hardest part of overcoming all of it. 
Like once I got out and once I had a place, it was like the switch flipped off. But, you know, after that, it's like there's still, I guess, residual mental effects that that had such a big impact. Even to this day, like I, I was dating a girl and she came over to the house. And it's funny, people see my house and they're automatically thinking they're like, oh, you obviously have a woman living here because it's so meticulously done. But like one of the biggest things is like when I come home every single time and I'm a crybaby too. So I'm surprised I haven't cried this whole time. But when I come home, like every single time, I'm just so grateful to have a place to stay. I open the door, I put my little coat in, walk in my front door and I'm like, this is my house. Nobody can evict me from my house. I mean, obviously if I don't pay my mortgage, I'm saying, and, you know, but, <laughs> but doosh, you know, and I'm armed a lot of guns and a Rottweiler, but you know, but even something like that, <laughs> like being good. able to get a dog, that was something. I mean, of course, yes, there are homeless people that have dogs and stuff. But for me, it's like I think of it like kids. Like I wouldn't want to put my child into this I, kind of space. I think it's almost unfair to the pet. But who am I to say? I've never been in that situation. Now you're on your feet, but you still don't feel like you deserve where you're at. Absolutely. Now, is that something that would carry over to other people that were in your position? Do you think that they may be going through those same emotions when they get off the street or when they finally get on their feet again? I believe so. I think that, you know, going back to my reference as it relates to people coming out of prison, I think that's oftentimes how people end up going back because the only life that they know now is that. Yeah. You know, you get people that get out of jail or get out of prison, their mentality is now shifted to, I've been in prison for the last 10 years of my life. I went in when I was 16. This is all I know. I'm insert new number here for 10 years. I am now 26. Could you imagine if you went the other route and they put you in jail? No, not at all. I'll be honest. I wear glasses. I listen to like Chicago and Earth, Wind & Fire and <laughs> Barry Manilow. And What's your favorite Earth, Wind & Fire song? After the Love is Gone. I was just going to no say question. That. No question. It's, a, <laughs> it's literally the most beautifully written song. David Foster, Jay Graydon. Uh, there was no Bill hesitation Champlin, there at all. The most right. beautifully written song in the history of all music. I hope they ask me what's my favorite song. Literally, <laughs> I, I, I was prepared for that one. I think it's either that one or Devotion for me. I can see it. I can see it. But I think it's just something in the in the tonality when they do the uh, the key changes and after the love is gone. Yeah. It's just something about it. And then, of course, you start off with just a beautiful e-piano. We're going to get uh, hit with copyright stuff. So you're going to oh. go further, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Justin Walker does not own the rights to anything that he has said. Is he, are he, is he reading a book? <laughs> Collectively. <laughs> Since you've turned everything around and have gotten back on your feet pretty solidly, do you do any outreach or any donation or help for others that were in a similar position? I did start going to the rescue mission on Thanksgiving, trying to help people. But my goal is actually to create a family foundation that will have about five different arms. And one of the arms directly deals with uh, homelessness but more specifically as it relates to people that are coming out of prison because the recidivism rate is something that, of course, obviously that's when people go out and then they go back in. And a lot of people come from prison and they don't have the ability to function and their choices are. Well, they got a $300 parole thing, don't they? Exactly. Or yeah. more now. Yeah. Oh, definitely yeah. more, I'm sure. So, but putting them in a position where they are given access to the necessary resources, given access to jobs, to housing, to clothing, and taken out of the environments that first put them in that space. There's a book, I want to say it's Different Crime, Different People, and they talk about how crime is proximal, and certain demographics of people will commit crimes for certain reasons. 
one person might commit a crime because they're the sole breadwinner at 18 for a house full of siblings and grandparents. Other people might commit crime because they're greedy and they want to get an extra boat. Why did you commit the crime? I committed my crime because I had a girlfriend that had a vehicle that was getting repossessed and I needed to make sure I could beat my chest and say, I'm the man. I took care of that. Yeah. Worst decision. Did it get repossessed? It did not. I got repossessed. (laughs) (laughs) Say, no, the car didn't, but I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The car didn't get repossessed. It it, it, uh, lived a good life. Um, It was a swap. Yeah, yeah, it was. Do you even hear from that girl anymore? No, I think she's like married and moved to insert new state here. Mm. Yeah. Happens to the best of us. Yeah. And the worst of us. Did you learn any skills while you were homeless? Yes. Yes. So one of the things that was really big at that time was trying to get into graphic design. And that actually created the path that I'm on now. My bachelor's degree is in political science, nothing to do with graphic design. I have a master's in public administration with a focus in healthcare administration, nothing to do with political science. I am four classes away from a master's in information systems technology with a focus in information assurance, nothing to do with graphic design whatsoever. However, I was able to sustain even once I got a real career and my real career was focused in graphic design in web design and you know just doing overall media work and so that's all stuff that I learned while I was applying for jobs I was you know watching YouTube videos trying to learn how to work Photoshop how to use Illustrator and even now like my business does pretty decent for something I'm doing out of my house but I'm able to almost double what I make at my job in profit just from doing graphic design with yeah. no formal training. And it's all stuff that I learned and I was able to cultivate because of that experience. And that's why it's kind of sometimes a bittersweet piece because it's like, I don't know where I would be without that experience, yeah. but by the same token, I know where I am because of that experience. Did you gain any wisdom from any other people that was homeless? Yeah, there was a guy that lived behind the Kmart. I think his name was like Mitch. And one of the things that he would always tell me, it was like, yeah, man, like you don't need to be here. <laughs> and like, it, it's, it's one thing, like, I don't want to say people know their own, but there's a difference between somebody that's in a situation because of their overall circumstances. And there's somebody that's in a situation because they choose to be in that situation. And I think that that motivation is what really kept me from staying in that space and really trying to claw myself back to where I needed to be. It sounded like he was the voice of reason for yeah. you yeah. to say, hey, this is not your space. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the legend of Becker Vance. <laughs> He's that guy that comes and teaches you how to golf, and then at the end of the movie disappears. Mary Poppins. Yeah. 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 yeah he kind of served. It could have been by. passive and like, this is my territory, suck so it, get out. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know, work in my corner, buddy. Yeah. But yeah, no. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's interesting. The area that I stayed in, the, the population wasn't very large. I mean, the city was maybe 20,000 people. The, the, I think the mission had maybe 200 beds, if that. I know when I first moved to Jacksonville, the thing that broke my heart was driving down the street and just seeing droves of people downtown downtown just yeah. standing outside with all their belongings in a cart. Like, I don't know if I can stay here. Not even from the standpoint of that. It was just like, I feel like I don't deserve to be where I am seeing all these people. Like, what can I do to help? And so that's why I want to start my nonprofit. That's why I want to be able to do something to try to give back. In a perfect world, I'd love to buy a hotel that can be used to house people, to help rehabilitate people, and to help push them where they're trying to go. Those that want to, obviously. Yeah. I mean, there are some people that 
are okay with the lifestyle. They've accepted it. Unfortunately, mental health has put them in a position where they don't have the necessary capacity to be able to get beyond that. But for those that do desire to come out of where they are, those that are there because of a situation like me, a bad decision, you know, I, I want to be able to create a, a bridge for them to cross over and get out of that space. Do you think it was trauma when you said you drove downtown and seen that? Oh, absolutely. Gotcha. Absolutely. Because I, I, I swear it was almost like a, a movie. I could see my face on everybody's body. Like this was supposed to be you. I'll be honest. I even avoid downtown a lot. You've done the time, so to say. Right. I think your life would be a movie. Oh, yeah. Well, I I plan to one day write a book. Wasn't um, Will Smith? Didn't he play that that's part? What thought, that's what came to mind, Pursuit of Happiness. Pursuit of, like, that makes go, sense. Yeah. It yeah. definitely came to mind. Oh, yeah. I should write a book and make it in a movie. And I probably have Denzel Washington play me. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the Collective Perspective Podcast, a mature show with the intention of making a difference in society. My goal, of course, is uh, to eventually create the nonprofit. Uh, I'm a big planner, so I like to write everything down and kind of structure everything but I think I've been like really divinely connected to several different people you know there's a, a medical arm and I have a lot of friends now that are doctors and that work in hospitals now and there's a, an arm that deals with farming and I'm connected to organizations and entities through my business that is allowing me to create all of the necessary avenues and so once I have enough of that plan in place then I'll be able to kind of go forth more into it but I do want to shout out a uh, a wonderful attorney, Jillian Hyshaw, a wonderful person over farms. I can't tell you exactly what it means because it's an acronym and there's a lot of words in it, but you can find them at 30,000acres.org. A wonderful organization that helps farmers in these communities save their farms from farm loss. And they do often take the proceeds of what they get and use that to purchase food to give to food banks, which help people that were in situations like mine. Now, Inception. I want to say... Thank you for coming out and sharing your story. It's very enlightening. I think it gives someone hope if maybe they're in those shoes or maybe younger and needs to consider choice making. Absolutely. One thing I think we learned definitely here is that, Justin, for God's sakes, if you come across a problem, you better call me. Absolutely. I will. And reach out to me. And if there's any way that I can help you, you know, the community is important. As human beings, we need community. Absolutely. And love. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, and healthy relationships and not having just transactional relationships. Absolutely. I think it says a lot for yourself, though, your character, because uh, you just never gave up and you did it all yourself. Those yeah, thank you, Justin. Bites. You're very welcome. Honestly, I, I feel like it was definitely an inspiring story. You're far too opinion. kind. Your check is in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> collectively you've been listening to the collective perspective podcast a mature show with the intention of making a difference in society so take a ride with us join us at the collective perspective podcast where your personal truths get a little power wash like what you heard subscribe to the collective perspective podcast whenever you listen to your podcasts you can also show support for our mission by going to buymeacoffee.com backslash collective pod and donating whatever you feel inspired to We appreciate any help keeping the lights on to bring you thoughtful and research content as part of this show. Visit the Collective Perspective Podcast show page on mtsjax.fm, Jacksonville's new music and multimedia network sponsored by Mixed Theory Studios. You can find the transcripts of this episode along with the show notes, material references, links you heard about, and more. 
Hey, I want to give a special shout out and a thanks to the real Jay Dash, a Jacksonville hero, producer, and artist, for sharing his original music with this show and to the Mix Theory Studios for recording and production services. We couldn't have done it without either of them. Thank you so much.